This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 384, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, December 14th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show airing live Wednesdays and Thursdays covering mixed martial arts professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. On Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling. Thursdays, we switch gears and jump into gaming, entertainment, and sometimes a little tech for good measure. As always, you can watch this show live by heading over to mtrlive.com or rageworks.net slash live. Either way you choose to get there will allow you to check out our live video and audio streams. Uh, The video stream is being simulcast in a couple of different places, Vaughn Live, Stream Up, Restream, uh, Daily Motion, YouTube Live, and a host of other video sources. But as always, head over to mtrlive.com to participate in the chat for the show. In addition, audio is simulcast to Mixler, which you can listen to on your mobile device by downloading the Mixler app available on iOS and Android devices. Just punch in Mixler on either the Google Play Store or the iTunes Store, and you'll be off to the races. M-I-X-L-R is how it's spelled. Punch in My Take Radio, and you'll be able to listen to live episodes. Also, our very own Ben and Taylor from Black is the New Black also do live shows on Mixler. So if you are a fan of both shows, you can listen to live broadcasts that way. Of course, archived episodes will be available within 24 to 48 hours of live airing on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio for audio, and of course for video on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. Uh, of course, right before we went on air, we had issues with the um, with the switchboard for some reason and the mute button. So uh, I'm sure I'm going to have to do a little editing in post and, of course, the mad dash to get on air for our 1130 start time. But I did want to make a couple of announcements before we jump into tonight's topics. Some housekeeping as usual. Uh, first and foremost, we got two contests in action. Two. We got one with myself and my variant issue colleague, Mr. Jimbo Slice. And that is our 12 Days of Christmas gift card giveaway in partnership with our friends at Newberry Comics. Every day we are giving away a gift card. Uh, Rules, of course, are on RageWorks.net. And follow the rules and you're entered. We give mystery gift cards to everyone from Newberry Comics. We do not know the denominations. We didn't ask. So, you know lucky winners will 
get a gift card with the mystery denomination and who knows might might get lucky and be able to buy yourself some really really awesome stuff so definitely glad to be partnered with newberry comics for that and like we said uh the gift card giveaways are throughout the next 12 days uh we already had picked our winner for day one day two is currently in progress with a winner being allowed announced shortly after midnight of course day three and so on and so on all the way to christmas eve so make sure to Check out the contest on RageWorks.net if you want to participate and enter. The gift cards can be used at Newberry Comics locations and on Newberry Comics website. As always, make sure to get the details at RageWorks.net and also on social media, either at RageWorks or at Jimbo, J-M-B-O underscore slice, S-L-Y-I-C-E. Both of us are posting updates and things related to the contest and things that you're going to need if you are interested in entering. So again, get the full details, rageworks.net. Links for the contest will be in the show notes for this episode. Also, partnering with our friends at Entertainment Earth to give one lucky winner this very, very awesome Star Wars Black Series Clone Trooper box set. You're going to get a 501st Legion Clone Trooper, a Coruscant Guard, a 212 attack battalion uh, attack battalion trooper and a siege battalion clone trooper. Uh, this is exclusive to Entertainment Earth. Really excited to be giving this away, and we'll be taking entries for that contest until 11:59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, it's right now about 11:40, so you still got about 19 minutes to get in there and get your entries in. We will be announcing the winner. Uh, during tomorrow night's gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio. So get your entries in. Uh, We'll announce the winner live on air tomorrow. And our friends at Entertainment Earth will be shipping that Star Wars Black Series uh, prize to you. The one that I showed you guys, we're going to be reviewing. And I may even be doing a giveaway for that one as well. So keep an eye out for that in the coming days also. So we'll see what goes on with that. Um, As many of you know, if you didn't read our post regarding the broadcast schedule for December and um, the remainder of 2016, tonight's MMA and Wrestling Edition is the last episode for 2016, as tomorrow's Gaming and Entertainment Edition, of course, will be the last episode for that aspect of our show. Uh, We'll be wrapping up, taking some time off for the holidays, working on a couple of other things, and then we will be back in January, as I said In the announcement, we will be moving away from live shows in 2017 and only doing them for special occasions when we have guests, etc., etc. But we will continue to do My Take Radio, as always, in podcast format and be releasing those episodes to iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, of course, Google Play, Spotify, and everything else once it's up and running. So even though we won't be doing live broadcasts, you'll still get your fill of MMA and wrestling goodness from us here at MTR, as well as gaming and entertainment stuff as well. The release schedule will pretty much remain the same. Wednesdays, you'll be getting the MMA and wrestling edition just in podcast format, and Thursdays, you'll be getting a gaming and entertainment edition as well. With regards to people that watch the videos on YouTube, we'll probably just be putting up the audio with a stationary image on the YouTube channel just to keep that content out there for you guys that are watching it on your home theaters or listening to it, um, you know, through other means via YouTube. So we'll continue to do that, but there won't be any video 
when we record podcasts unless we're doing something unique and special. But in any case, we are definitely going to be uh, moving into that space. Uh, We'll do two live episodes in January, probably just to remind everybody that we're moving away from it and just catch up after the holidays. But then uh, from, you know, the remainder of January on, we will be doing the shows in podcast format. Uh, One thing I did want to mention today, Instagram announced Instagram live, which will allow users to live stream their shows. Well, to live stream their content to people that are following them on Instagram. I've been kind of playing around with it a little bit. I'm thinking maybe for tomorrow's gaming and entertainment edition to also doing a simulcast on Instagram, just to talk gaming uh, with our Instagram followers. We'll see. We'll see how that comes together. And we're going to be doing a couple of other interesting things, even though we'll be off air for the live shows just to keep some content out there for you guys. But nonetheless, even though there won't be live episodes of MTR for the next two weeks, there are still going to be a ton of great episodes from the rest of our shows, including Black is the New Black, which they actually did a live show tonight. Uh, Call Me When It's Over, TRSS, and of course, next Wednesday, myself and Jimbo Slice will be giving you a brand new installment of The Variant Issue. So even though you're not getting MTR, you're still covered by the rest of our shows. So with that said, that's going to wrap up housekeeping for this episode. Let's get into tonight's topic. So, of course, we're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC event, which was surprisingly off the hook. I was blown away by how dope it was. Uh, The week's MMA news on the wrestling side, we're going to talk about WWE Raw. We're going to talk about SmackDown Live and the road to... Uh, roadblock, this is the end, exit stage right, bullshit-ass pay-per-view. I'll give you guys some predictions for that. We're going to talk about tribute to the troops. We're going to talk 205 Live and, of course, the wrestling news of the week. And as always, if you want to participate, hit us up, mtrlive.com, join the chat, and you you can interact with the show that way. Or if you prefer, you can call in 347-324-3541-347-324-3541 to participate. All right. Let's jump into it and talk some MMA, shall we? All right, so this past weekend, we had the UFC 206 card, which was uh, just hindered by so many injuries and so many instances of of just poor matchmaking etc cetera, etc cetera. people getting injured guys getting pulled from the card etc cetera, etc cetera. that the card on paper looked pretty academic i mean the main event had anthony pettis and max holloway fighting for the interim title uh the interim featherweight title of course now interim champion jose aldo will be meeting one of these two individuals to unify it and I felt that the 206 card was, like I said, just hindered with injuries. I went into it, and I'll be honest, with low, low expectations uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, low expectations because I I assumed that people were going to be phoning it in because they felt that the card wasn't promoted adequately. And to a point, I have to agree. I think that once uh, the injury bug reared its head and certain fighters got pulled from the card for various reasons... The the interest in the card died down, and because of that, and this has happened to me before, I almost forgot that it was on. So I come home, and I'm like, oh, shit, you know, there's a card on. End up 
tuning into it, watching some of the prelims, and then I started watching most of the card. My my attention was a bit distracted, but you know when it counted, I did watch the card, and then I rewatched the fights that I missed to talk about for tonight's broadcast. And I got to say, UFC 206 was was a real dark horse of a pay per view. They they had some stellar fights, some amazing performances from some fighters, and we even had a fight between uh, Duhu Choi and Cub Swanson, which many people, I mean, I'm kind of falling into that camp too. They awarded that fight. They said that that was their fight of 2016, which again, 2016 has had an amazing amount of fights. And I'm actually probably going to do a recap of, you know, an uh, Rageworks pick 10 with my 10 favorite fights of 2016. And like I said, the thing that gets me is that, you know, guys went in there and they left it out on the line. And I want to pluck a couple of matches that I saw that I really, really thought were just amazing, amazing fights. I want to talk about Lando Venata taking on John McDessey. And the reason I want to talk about this fight is because Lando Venata, I'll be honest, I I knew nothing about this guy. I did a little a little homework, you know, read on Sure Dog, et cetera, just to see who this individual was, where he came from, et cetera. Um, came in, he had an eight and one record, and he was fighting John McDessey, who's a veteran, a guy who's been fighting for quite some time. And McDessey got obliterated. It was essentially murder, death, kill. Um, the setup was Venata uh, set it up with a leg kick. McDessey tried to get in with the jab. And then when Venata hit him with a right to the body, he did a beautiful wheel kick for a walk-off KO. It was fucking bananas. I lost my mind. I was like, holy shit. Like I had to, I had to rewind it just so that I can see exactly what transpired i was like i said i was literally blown away by that finish and like i said i didn't even know lando venata aside from the little bit of preliminary research i did i'm like all right this fight should be i knew mac desi i've seen mac desi fight a few times dude is a is a solid fighter so i expected it to be you know just just a good fight and fuck was i blown away a beautiful finish by lando venata uh props to him for that beautiful wheel kick he essentially flatlined John McDessey. It was, it was, woo, it was highlight real worthy. Uh, that's for damn sure. Also, I did want to, and this fight, you know, I went into it. I'm trying to get all my notes together because I took notes for each fight. I wanted to also talk about Kelvin Gastelum. You know, Gastelum came in after his, you know, failure to make weight at UFC 205. He had a date with Tim Kennedy at middleweight. I, I genuinely expected Tim Kennedy to come in there and mop the floor with this dude. I almost felt like they gave Gastelum this fight as punishment for not making weight. And fuck, he was he was not wasting any time. He actually took the fight to Tim Kennedy and secured the victory via TKO in the third round with a beautiful flurry. Um, it was it was insane. He hit him with a right uppercut first, and then a one-two that ended up dropping Tim Kennedy, and then he just swarmed on him, and it was academic at that point to force the stoppage um, props to Kelvin Gastelum for coming in and, you know, proving the critics wrong, showcasing his skills and showing that he still is a force to be reckoned with, even if it's at middleweight and not at in the 170 pound class. I mean, you know, like I said, I thought this was a punishment fight for Gastelum and he, he pretty much shut down all the critics. And again, he put that division on notice now that he's a guy that should definitely be uh, looked at as a top 10 contender. Now, on the featherweight side, it was it was a crazy, crazy fight. Uh, Duhu Choi was facing Cub Swanson. Choi was ranked number 11 coming in versus the fourth ranked 
Cub Swanson. Now, the thing about this this fight was that I expected Cub Swanson to steamroll this guy. Again, Choi was a guy who I knew a little bit about, wasn't too familiar with him. You know, I had to use my YouTube, do some YouTube homework, do a little bit of sure dog homework to get familiar with this fighter. Uh, I expected Cub Swanson to come in there. Like I said, Cub Swanson is an animal. That guy's a, a bad, a bad motherfucker. I mean, that's that's just plain and simple. And he went in there and him and Doohoo Choi had an amazing, amazing fight. Back and forth action, uh, really great uh, scrambles, really great exchanges on the feet. It was it was fucking beautiful. They ended up going the distance with Cub Swanson getting a unanimous decision. But um, what a what a fight, man. If you guys can do yourselves a favor, check that out. Doohoo Choi, Cub Swanson. At minimum, try and check out the highlights from this fight because I was I was literally blown away by how stellar these two guys performed in the cage. And like I said, Duhu Choi is another guy didn't much like Lando Venata. I wasn't even a hundred percent familiar with his work, and you know, I had to go and and do some homework to get even even get a, a grasp of what this guy was working with. And fuck, man, I felt I felt like a complete ass clown after I saw it. I'm like, damn, I should have been paying more attention to this kid. This kid. Definitely no joke. Now, Donald Cerrone coming in, facing the immortal Matt Brown. I've talked about Matt Brown on numerous episodes. Matt Brown is one of those guys that you see him, you either assume that he has a complete psychopath and he will kill you, or you presume that he is a guy that is just not to be trifled with. And, um, you know, Donald Cerrone, you guys have heard me extol the virtues of, of Donald Cerrone on numerous occasions, talking about, you know the grit and the toughness of Cerrone and how he can come in there and perform at a moment's notice and fuck anybody up. Um, you know, he's a, he's another guy that he's just a, a bad dude. And I thought that him and Matt Brown were going to go out there and have themselves a good old fashioned bloody war. And this is mostly because I know Matt Brown is a scrapper. He's a bleeder. He'll go in there and he will, he will fight in the trenches for, for 25 minutes or 15 minutes, you know, depending on, on his opponent. And, Fuck, was I blown away with the finish that Donald Cerrone had. Um, these guys went into the third round with Donald Cerrone catching Matt Brown with a Mirko Crow Cop level head kick that pretty much put him right to sleep. It was it was bonkers, man. It was really bonkers. Again, Cerrone using uh, you know, his stand up to, you know, just set the pace and he ended up um hitting him with a uh, a counter right. And all of a sudden, a left high kick came out of nowhere and put Matt Brown to sleep. I legitimately jumped out of my chair. I was like, oh, shit, because it was it was bananas, man. It was completely and utterly fucking bananas. Um, Really impressed. Donald Cerrone really stamped that performance. Again, this is a guy that, you know, when it comes to title opportunities, he should always be in the mix. I feel Matt Brown is the same way. I like Matt Brown. But fuck, I didn't expect Donald Cerrone to come in there and murder, death, kill uh, Matt Brown. But sure enough, he did, um, you know, really impressed. We'll see what happens with Cerrone, where he goes and who he'll be squaring off with next. Again, title title contention is something that that's thrown around a lot in the UFC and in MMA. But Cerrone's a guy that he's always one fight out from from being right back in the title picture. And I think the highlight reel uh, the highlight real worthy performance that he put on against Matt Brown is definitely going to strengthen that argument. That's for damn sure. Now, Anthony Pettis, Max Holloway, I was I was upset before this fight went down. 
Uh, Anthony Pettis is a guy who, you know, I feel he has great conditioning, has an incredible work ethic, um, you know, is, is just a, a hard worker. And when the weigh-ins went down, I found out that he didn't make weight, which really, really blew my mind because, again, you know, guys have issues making weight. I can see that. Or guys that have been, you know, that have the stigma of not making weight again. I understand that. I never in a million years would have expected a guy like Anthony Pettis to not make weight. Um, you know, one of the things that I do as somebody who covers all this stuff, you know, I try to follow the fighters on social media, keep up with all their happenings, their developments, what they're doing, interactions here and there where necessary. And, you know, following Anthony Pettis, especially if you follow him on Snapchat, you see, you know, he's in the gym, you get a glimpse into his life, you see his training, you see his conditioning work, you see what's going on. And yeah, I mean, obviously we don't get the full picture, but you get some insight into the fighters day to day. And for me, I always felt that Anthony Pettis is a guy that he, um, you know, he really puts in the work training with Duke Rufus and those guys. And I know he's been going through some hardships. I mean, he's had, uh, at, I believe it is two instances of somebody vandalizing all the vehicles on his property, which was fucking insane. I believe that they tried to torch his cars on in one instance. And then the second time they caught a guy on camera, it was, it was bonkers. It was completely insane. So, I know that he was dealing through with some personal issues uh, leading up to this fight. And I said to myself, you know, give give this guy the benefit of the doubt. He might be going through some stuff. But again, you know, it's one of those things where as as a fan, you're like, fuck, man, you know, this guy didn't make weight, especially because in the case of Anthony Pettis, he is fighting for a title. In this case, even if it's the interim featherweight title, he is fighting for a title as a result of him not making weight. He forfeited his opportunity to win the title. In addition to that, he ended up losing 20% of his purse, if I'm correct, if, if, if I remember correctly. And I mean, Max Holloway went in there motivated and ready to make, to make a statement and he did not disappoint. He, excuse me, he went in there and he just, he unleashed a hurt on Anthony Pettis. It was, it was nasty. It was really, really nasty. Um, securing a TKO victory in the third round. Now, again, what this does is it crowns Max Holloway as your interim featherweight champion and now sets him on a collision course with Jose Aldo, who is now officially recognized as the featherweight champion after Conor McGregor was forced to vacate the title by the UFC. Now, the thing the thing I have to say about this is obviously Jose Aldo being at the top of the of the top of the food chain is great for the featherweight division because Jose is going to go in there and he's going to challenge and he's going to defend etc 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 but there's always going to be that thing which I've said with Chris Weidman where you got to ask yourself what if what if I you know what if I mean don't get me wrong Aldo and McGregor may fight again maybe not I mean Conor McGregor is all about making history and running through weight classes he may end up going and fighting at 170 and trying to get the 170 pound title and keep keep trying to chase records becoming you know a two title a two title um a dual title holder in two weight classes. And again, this is one of those things where in the case of Jose Aldo, Aldo goes in there, he fights, he, he kicks ass, you know, 99% of the time, obviously uh, McGregor, McGregor cleaning his clock in 13 seconds is, is something that I'm sure haunts him. And that's exactly what I'm leading to. It's the fact that think about this, you're Jose Aldo. You had all this animosity going into the fight against Conor McGregor. The fight came and went, McGregor flatlined you in 13 seconds. You didn't even get out of the blocks. 
And then, of course, you know, you got fans like, oh, see that shit, man? Jose Aldo was was garbage and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, like I've said all the time, if that's the kind of mentality that you're looking at when you're looking at MMA, then you just you don't know a fucking thing. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, anybody can get caught. Even a guy with a granite chin can get hit the right way and get put to sleep. It does not matter. In the case of Conor McGregor, he's just been fortunate. You know, precision beats, you know, precision and power beat wins every time. And that's the thing. You know, he's got accurate pinpoint laser striking that is able to get in there and catch guys at really weird angles. And this takes nothing away from Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo went in there. The guy was, un, you know, hadn't lost in fucking years. So to write him off based on a 13 second performance is just it's just, you know, poor behavior as a fan. But I will say this as a fan, me personally, Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor should have fought. And the thing that bothers me is the fact that Dana White and the UFC just let Conor McGregor dictate terms again. Having him fight Eddie Alvarez while it was awesome and history was made and that was great, he could have just as easily fought Jose Aldo in New York City and still had a record-breaking crowd and a ton of attention. Yes, I understand that the necessity to chase history was, you know, it was too big of a of a golden goose for the UFC. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the fighters doing what they got to do, Jose Aldo should have fought Conor McGregor to unify the featherweight title, and if McGregor would have beat um, Jose Aldo in that fight, then, of course, we would have teased the fight with him and Eddie Alvarez down the road, and that would have been it. Maybe Eddie Alvarez would have been fighting Khabib, and we still would have had the opportunity for history to be made. Maybe Eddie Alvarez would have defeated Khabib or vice versa, and then McGregor would go up to 55 and try and and win that title from either one of those guys. But Jose Aldo needed the uh, should have had the opportunity to go in there and avenge his loss. I th- I feel that that was just a big a big fuck up by the UFC because now we you know McGregor's taking time off to to be a dad and when he comes back he's got to defend that lightweight title either you know against Khabib if that's what it's going to be or perhaps against Frankie Edgar or even going one step further if they want to try and do a, a trilogy with uh, Nate Diaz or we can go one step further and we can see. Uh, you know, Conor McGregor try and make a run for the belt at 170. I, I just, you know, I'm I'm happy for Max Holloway. I'm happy to see him getting in there against a guy like Jose Aldo. But as I said, what bothers me is just the fact that these guys are, you know, the UFC let Conor McGregor get away with murder, essentially. And he he threw an entire monkey wrench in the division and now look at it. Now Jose Aldo's your champion without fighting McGregor. And I'm sorry to say it. It's like people may disagree with this, but if I'm Jose Aldo, I'd be like, yo, man, I need to fight fucking Conor McGregor for me personally. It's the same thing that I've said with Weidman, which is, you know, these guys, they win. You beat, you know, you beat a legendary fighter and it's viewed as, oh, you know, maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it shouldn't have happened the way it happened. But, um, the fact is, you know, I just um, I'm bothered. I'm bothered by the fact that the UFC just let McGregor take over the show and fucking derail the featherweight division. And now, of course, you got interim champions. Now you don't know when McGregor is going to defend. It's it, it was a complete it was complete clusterfuck. And like I said, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of McGregor's. I am. I'm a fan of Jose Aldo's. I'm a fan of the sport. But I feel that the UFC just let 
just let the McGregor show take over everything because they saw dollar signs and they were willing to sacrifice a division and and the standing of that division for for that. And, you know, it's just it's unfortunate. It's fucked up again. You know, I just think that in the case of, you know, Max Holloway now, he he's interim tight. You know, he's interim champion. He fights Jose Aldo. And let's say Jose Aldo defeats him and, and that's it. What happens to Jose Aldo now? It's like, all right, you beat the one guy that you thought that was a credible challenger. Do you try and go up and challenge McGregor for his 155-pound title? Do you defend the belt at 145? There's there's so many different factors at play. What if, you know, Eddie Alvarez drops down to 145 and defy and decides to fight Jose Aldo and maybe we get that or maybe we get Aldo and Frankie Edgar too. It's it's a lot of crazy shit going on in in the UFC with the featherweight and lightweight divisions now and we're not going to get a clear picture until 2017 when it all washes out. That's for damn sure. In any case, let's get into the other MMA news of the week where you know, we had we had some really good noteworthy happenings you know, in terms of the bugs of UFC 206, I didn't find anything bad about the card. I didn't really feel that there were any ugly fights. You know, there were a decent amount of decisions, but a lot of finishes. In terms of really good moments on the card, uh, Lando Venata's KO was amazing. Gastelum's TKO was bananas. Choi and Cub Swanson just tore the roof off the joint. Donald Cerrone's Mirko Krokop uh, walk-off head kick KO was nasty. And, of course, Max Holloway... Uh, reaching reaching the brass ring and becoming uh featherweight champ interim featherweight champion was uh just a great way to cap off what was a really really solid event in terms of fight bonuses Lando Venata got a bonus a performance bonus went to Max Holloway not shocked um plus the 20% he took from Pettis I I think Max Holloway walked away with a pretty nice uh paycheck when it was all said and done Fight of the Night honors went to Cub Swanson and Doohu Choi which was fucking well deserved uh, again, you guys got to see this fight. It was bonkers. So it's been a, a John Jones free couple of weeks on on MTR, but he's back in the news this week. Looks like um, he has settled with the Nevada State Athletic Commission regarding his drug test failure at UFC 200. MMA Junkie reported that Jones has settled with a one year suspension that is retroactive to July 6th, meaning that he will be able to be back in the cage in July. So you know, his out of competition drug test allegedly was due to a tainted sexual enhancement pill. And I say tainted sexual enhancement pill because obviously that's what they opted to go with. In any case, the the commission went with it. They settled with Jones and Jones will be back in the cage in July. Now, of course, I'm sure that the UFC is going to be 100% apprehensive about having John Jones headline anything for the foreseeable future. We may see John Jones as, you know, an opener, a pay-per-view opener or middle of pay-per-view kind of a guy. But in terms of main eventing a pay-per-view, at least for the foreseeable future, I would not do it. The UFC has been bitten once too many times with John Jones, and I wouldn't I wouldn't jump into it now. That's all I'm saying. Now, Brock Lesnar and Nate Diaz are all scheduled to appear, also scheduled to appear in front of the Nevada State Athletic Commission in December um, as a matter of fact, I believe that both guys are scheduled to meet with the commission today, now December uh, 15th, that it's after midnight, to discuss, obviously, their various infractions. Uh, for Brock Lesnar, of course, it was the positive drug test. 
which, um, you know, not good. And also for Nate Diaz, it was the altercation with Conor McGregor at UFC 202. So Jones is going to be there to, you know, settle up on his punishments. Uh, Lesnar's supposed to be handling his business. And uh, Nate Diaz is scheduled to go and deal with his issues with Conor McGregor at the commission hearings later today. I'm curious to see how it pans out with Brock Lesnar. What exactly was the situation with him? And if he's going to have any sort of defense for, you know, the positive drug test and the positive drug test results that were disclosed to the public Uh, for Nate Diaz. I'm sure they might give him community service and a fine for his crazy, crazy uh, altercation with Lesnar. I mean, with Lesnar, with uh, McGregor at UFC 202. We'll see what happens. I will keep you guys up to date with that either on social media or on, you know, on an MTR in the new year. So we talked about Brock Lesnar. We talked about John Jones. Who else do we have to talk about? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is CM Punk. As many of you know, CM Punk uh, faced Mickey Gall uh, recently and uh, did not fare well. Needless to say, many people have been curious as to whether the UFC would allow CM Punk back in the cage or if CM Punk would take this opportunity, see the writing on the wall, and return to professional wrestling. I know many wrestling fans were were hoping in their heart of hearts that they would see CM Punk back in a wrestling ring, but that turns out to not be the case. Uh, Duke Rufus recently spoke with MMAfighting.com, and he shed a little light on what's going on. He said that CM Punk is improving as a fighter. Um, You know, he has a great attitude, and he's back in training Right after the Pettis and Holloway fight, I will be working with him once again. When asked about, you know, CM Punk fighting in the UFC, Duke Rufus said, and I quote, uh, yeah, definitely. I believe him, he and Dana are talking. I just talked to Punk on Monday before that, and things are looking hopeful. I can't say yes or no, but they are looking hopeful. We're going to see. Dana's always got a good recipe of what he's going to create and what's best for the sport and what's best for Punk and everyone else. Now. Here's the thing I got to say with that. We all know that CM Punk was really thrown in the deep end of the fucking pool. Let's not kid ourselves. He went in there fighting a guy. You know, he was zero and zero. Mickey Gall, even though he was, you know, he was a a newcomer to the UFC. He has he had some cage experience. You know, he's competed. And again, zero and one and oh, you know, in terms of record, it seemed it seemed fair. But I felt that CM Punk and watching his, you know, his journey in the in the build up to his fight with Mickey Gall, I felt that CM Punk was really kind of thrust into this this big spotlight by the organization. And I've said this before. I think it's partially due to the fact that they wanted him to succeed and they were hoping that they had lightning in a bottle like they did with Brock Lesnar. And that is not the case. Uh, Brock Lesnar had a bunch of different tools at his disposal uh, obviously, being a, a well-regarded collegiate wrestler was a huge part of that. Plus, being freakishly strong and just a, a, a mammoth, a mammoth of a man was, you know, a lot of the things that he had in his favor. CM Punk, no disrespect to CM Punk, but CM Punk looks like any of us, a regular guy that decides to go in there and try his hand at MMA. Of course, you try your hand at it. You may get good at it. You may even get proficient at it. But when you get into a competitive setting, the game changes completely. And this is not to take anything away from CM Punk. On the contrary, I I respect CM Punk for, you know, deciding to 
follow his dreams, even if that meant him getting his ass whooped in front of a of of a studio, you know, of a broadcast audience. But I do say this. I felt that the UFC tossed him in there way too soon and they should have just, you know, said that they signed him, said, oh, you know, CM Punk is going to be fighting in the near future and just let CM Punk continue to learn, continue to grow and fine tune his craft. And even if you did want to have him fight, you could have had him fight on the prelims. You could have had him fight on just a smaller stage so that he can continue to improve and become a better fighter. Hell, you could have even signed CM Punk to a UFC deal on the DL and still let him fight in one of these smaller organizations just so that he can get some experience under his belt. You could have even turned that into some sort of original programming to follow his development as a fighter. I think, you know, like I said, the UFC got greedy. They thought that they had something, you know, on the on the same level as Brock Lesnar. But what they had was a guy who was well-recognized by the wrestling audience, uh, whether, you know, in a loving capacity or a hated capacity. And the UFC just squeezed squeezed the lemon for all it's worth. And at the end of the day, the only thing that came out of it was the fact that Mickey Gall got, you know, quote unquote, got himself, uh, you know, on the rocket ship to stardom and CM Punk got exposed. And I don't think that was the case. You know, I, I like Mickey Gall. I think he's uh, he's a he's an asset to the sport. I like I like the way the kid presents himself, you know, on social media. Uh, you know, when he takes over the UFC Snapchat, he does a fight call with Mickey Gall. Uh, the guy knows his stuff. You know, he's a student of the game. And, you know, I respect that. But I also feel that a lot of the praise that is being heaped upon him, while it is warranted to a point, it's not it's not it's like, dude, you didn't you didn't beat George St. Pierre. You beat a guy that decided that he was going to throw on some gloves and get into the cage. That's that's the same. That's the equivalent of an NBA basketball player beating, you know, beating a weekend warrior at horse. It's, it's, it's completely different. And that's the thing that gets me. Everybody's like, yeah, man, Mickey Gall, blah, blah, blah. And I just, you know, I just felt that it was, it just wasn't, it wasn't valuable to me. I mean, it was good that Mickey Gall went in there and he took the fight with punk. No problem. I also think that, you know, the UFC just took advantage and punk did what he, he was told. He's like, Hey, this is who you're fighting. Get ready. Good luck. Now, you know, Val says, honestly, CM Punk was disrespectful to MMA. He just thought he thought just because Brock walked in and did OK, he could, too. See, I understand where Val is coming from. But here's the thing. If he said to the UFC, hey, man, I'm thinking of giving this MMA shit a shot. The correct response from Dana White and the organization should have been, yeah, you know, if you want to give it a shot, man, you know, maybe try, you know, get a camp and maybe start fighting in some of the smaller organizations, and depending on how you do, we'll bring you up. That's it. Because when Brock Lesnar got into MMA, he fought on smaller shows, and don't get me wrong, he called out Dana White, he called out the UFC, and the UFC brought him in, but he did fight in other organizations first. The problem was that the you know the UFC saw, oh man, this guy's a name, people know him, he, you know, he, he likes the sport, this guy will bring him in and he'll bring in new people and people are going to tune in and blah, 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 blah. And the thing was, they they expected that they would have another Brock Lesnar. Much like I say in professional wrestling, I will say this in MMA as well. There is one Brock Lesnar. There is one John Jones. There is one GSP. You know, there's one Conor McGregor, one Jose Aldo, one. You could try and replicate it. You could try and 
and create these stars. And sure, you'll get something close, but you're never going to get the same thing. You know, when Chael, when Chael Sonnen was trash talking and getting himself into fights, you know, by running his mouth, the thing was that everybody thought that Chael Sonnen was at the top of the food chain when it came to trash talking, that he knew how to get under people's skin to get into the cage. Then, of course, Conor McGregor comes along and starts, you know, trash talking everybody and anybody who will listen. And Chael Sonnen became an afterthought. Yes, Chael, of course, is fighting Tito. And we know that that's the next, um, you know, the next fight on the horizon for for both of those guys, you know, Chael and Tito against each other. But at the end of the day, it's it's cyclical. You know, when Tito was the guy that was trash talking, doing the grave digger celebration and the middle fingers and all of that, Tito was the guy. And then that changed and other guys came along and they started doing the trash talking and all the crazy shit. And they too did that. It's the same thing. Ronda Rousey, another example. The UFC would give anything to have another Ronda Rousey. And I hate to tell you and them, there's only one Ronda Rousey. There's only one Chris Cyborg, which leads me into my next story. The UFC, and you guys know about this from what I was talking about last week, Chris Cyborg said that she would, you know, the UFC should create a women's featherweight division so that she can compete and be able to showcase her skills to the UFC audience. And of course, we know that Cyborg currently fights in Invicta and is their women's featherweight champion there. Well, it seems that the UFC kind of gave... Chris Cyborg what she wanted, but not the way you think. Uh, The UFC announced that they will be crowning their first women's featherweight champion at UFC 208. Holly Holm will be facing Jermaine Durandamy for that title, and it will be the start of the brand new weight class. Now, UFC 208 will be taking place here in New York at the Barclays Center February 11th with the main card on pay-per-view and the prelims on Fox Sports 1. Now, a couple of things. Chris Cyborg is probably extremely pissed off because she probably thought they're going to create this division. I'm going to come in. I'm going to fight whoever, and we're going to crown a brand new champion. And of course, that was not the case. You know, Chris Cyborg in the UFC, even though she has fought on the UFC card, um, it's been a tumultuous relationship anyway. But um, for them to do this and not even consider her for this fight I have a feeling that the UFC is hoping that Holly Holm becomes your first uh, women's featherweight champion. You do the fight with Cyborg. Cyborg beats Holm, and that's it. I feel that, you know, this is all leading to that inevitable Ronda Rousey super fight where the UFC is hoping that the MMA gods bless them with Ronda beating Amanda Nunes and Cyborg coming in and thrashing whoever the champion is at featherweight And then, of course, you get your women's super fight at either 145, uh, which will probably be at 145 with Ronda Rousey possibly challenging for that title and doing like Conor McGregor being on the verge of history. Uh, Definitely an interesting time in in women's mixed martial arts. And uh, we're going to see what happens when that title when that title fight goes down uh, February 11th at UFC 208. Uh, Now in the chat room, a couple of things. Val says, doesn't Cyborg have issues making 145 because of roids uh cyborg does not have issues making 145 145 is her natural fighting weight she cannot fight in in ronda's weight class because of the issues uh she feels that um you know it it obviously would be um 
very, very difficult for her to make weight for Ronda's weight class. And she's been very vocal about saying that Ronda has fought at 145. Um, Val also adds, because during the build, lead up to her fight in the UFC at 145, she barely made weight. Hell, she was like a little bulldog. She was a pound and a half over. Uh, you know what it is? She, I believe she was, I believe, a, a one pound over. And I think they give one pound they give uh they give a one pound um you know giveaway. I think it's usually a pound, a one pound to two pound giveaway, depending on where they're fighting in the commission and the commission that's involved. Um the thing that gets me is right now, the women's division, as much as they're trying to hype it up, there's only one or two good fights in Ronda's weight class. It's Ronda and Nunez, and maybe, maybe Ronda and Katzingano, if you wanted to do that or Ronda and Juliana Pena, only because there's a lot of bad blood there. Those are the only two fights that may pique a lot of people's interest. Now, with Chris Cyborg coming in, there's a couple of different things. Obviously, you could bring in more women's featherweights. Uh, Marluz Kunin comes to mind. And, of course, there's going to be a lot of women that are fighting in Ronda's weight class that probably are very excited to fight in a higher weight class because they may have had their own issues making weight. Now, with that said... I feel that the UFC is being very strategic by creating this division, having Holly Holm and Jermaine Durandamy fight, and like I said, then bringing in uh, Chris Cyborg to challenge either one of those two ladies when the title, when the title fight is, when the title is, you know, the title fight is over and done with. Now again, even if they're being strategic about it to put the belt on Chris Cyborg, we still have to consider that Ronda would need to win on December 30th when she fights. Again, Ronda would need to win on December 30th. And I'm going to be honest. If Ronda Rousey loses against Amanda Nunes, we already saw how psychologically fucked up she was when she lost. That's not to say that she may she may not she may quit if she loses. It could happen. Now, even if Ronda were to win, the only other fight that makes sense for her is the fight with Chris Cyborg because that is the fight that if you're going to make it your quote-unquote last fight in the sport, you're going to want to get the biggest payday possible. And that's what it comes down to. When you've reached the upper tier, like you know Demetrius Johnson and some of these guys, at the end of the day, you want now the big money fights. That's what you want. You want the big money fights. Val says, what if the psychological stuff was just a way to build up her return? I wouldn't be shocked, man. I mean, you know, a lot of this shit is work, too. But I also think that, you know, a lot of the press that she's done and, you know, some of the things that she said showed that she was psychologically damaged by that loss. And, um, you know, even though, yeah, it is MMA conspiracy theories, you never know. You never know, man. It could be, it could be manufactured storytelling. It could be manufactured hype. I'm definitely... I would I wouldn't even I wouldn't even dispute it. At the end of the day, you know, I got to say and this is the thing that gets me, however you slice it with with Ronda, the only fights that mi- that matter financially are the fight with Nunez, obviously because big fight, and the fight with Cyborg. Everything else is is it's inconsequential. And I'm being honest, it is inconsequential. And I say this because, yes, would we want to see Ronda fight Juliana Pena? Maybe. Would we want to see Ronda fight Kat Zingano? Sure. But does anyone else want to see that? 
No. With Chris Cyborg, do you want to see Chris Cyborg and Holly Holm? I would like to see that personally. I, I as a fan, would like to see that fight. Now, in terms of other fights for Cyborg, it really is Chris Cyborg and everyone else. I'm being honest. No, the only fight that matters is her and Ronda. And I think that with Ronda, quote-unquote, winding down her career, I wouldn't be shocked if that's, that's how they play it. You know, the MMA matchmakers are setting this up to give each woman a clear shot at, you know, having the super fight and walking off into the sunset, which, again, you know, if you've been following the sport this long, you know that some of the fights, sometimes they make sense, sometimes they don't. Val says, I think Holly might be able to outstrike Chris Cyborg. Uh, you know what it is? In terms of stand-up, there's, uh, you know, the boxing stand-up that Holly Holm brings to the table, and then you have the brute, po- the brute power that Chris Cyborg brings to the cage. Now, don't misunderstand. Holly Holm definitely muscled Ronda Rousey in their fight, but fighting Chris Cyborg, who's you know, who's about as strong as it gets in that division is a completely different ball game. Now, this is not to say that Holly Holm having the additional 10 pounds to fight a, a, a fighter like Chris Cyborg would not, you know, would not fare well. I just feel that when it comes down to, to the styles, you know, to the stylistic side of things, I think that Chris Cyborg is definitely capable of just pushing the pace and muscling Holly Holm. And especially from, you know, the Muay Thai perspective, I think Chris Cyborg has a better command of the Thai plum. And I think that if it boils down to Holly Holm and Chris Cyborg scrapping and Holly Holm gets caught in a Thai plum, it's lights out. Now, that's not to say that Holly Holm doesn't have the power and the hand speed to tag Chris Cyborg and put her to sleep. Uh, on the contrary, she does. But I just feel that in terms of raw power and being able to execute it, in, in terms of offense, I think Chris Cyborg brings more to the table. I also feel that, you know, Chris Cyborg has a very underrated uh, jujitsu game that if the fight went to the ground, she could definitely do damage there as well. Again, you know, it's wishful thinking that we see this fight. And again, this is considering that Holly Holm gets past Jermaine Durandamy when that goes down. So we'll see what happens. Val adds, Holly's a counter striker, though, isn't she? So is so stylistically Cyborg doing the berserker thing would give home the advantage. It would. But you also got to remember that Chris Cyborg, when she comes in like fucking Tong Po and kickboxer. Yeah, she could take she could take damage and she could take punishment. But it's all about closing the distance. And yes, Holly Holm is definitely going to have counter punching and counter striking capabilities. But I just feel that Cyborg is going to use the cage for that to shorten the distance and try and get her in that tie plum and work a lot of those knee strikes and uh, close quarter combat. I do. Like I said, I do feel that Holly Holm definitely has the tools to hold her own. But I feel in terms of raw power, Cyborg just brings a bit more to the table. And I think that when these ladies hit the scale and they make 145 and they rehydrate, I feel that Cyborg may re when she rehydrates is just a completely different fighter. Um, Val adds, my prediction, home does the McGregor thing versus Alto. Wow, that's that's big talk, man. That is uh, that is big talk, and I'm uh, I'm gonna make note of it. So if and when it happens, if it does go down that way, I can say Val, you were right. All right, so this weekend we got a pretty solid solid card. UFC Fight Night uh, going down. And this is this fight card is 
not only awesome on paper, but it has something that's very, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very disheartening for me to report. Uh, this will be Uriah Faber's last fight, uh, and he will be retiring. Um, it's, uh, it's going to be a card that you're going to want, that you're not going to want to miss. It's coming out of Sacramento, uh, Uriah Faber's hometown. It's going to be a huge, huge ovation for him. And I think that the fights, the fights themselves are tremendous. The main event, Paige Van Zant taking on Michelle Waterson, the karate hottie, uh, the co-main event, Sage Northcutt taking on Mickey Gall, uh, which is a, which is a big fight. And I want to get into that and give you guys a couple of predictions. So as I said, Uriah Faber coming in, fighting Brad Pickett. This is the um, the California kid's last fight in the cage before he walks off into the sunset. Uh, I think I think Faber has as much of a chance as any to dispatch Brad Pickett, and I really hope that he goes out on a on a win. Um, so I'm going to pick Faber, you know, just because I'm a fan of his, and I'd like you know it'd be a good way for him to go off into the sunset. Uh, Sage Northcutt, Mickey Gall, uh, both guys have a lot of momentum coming into this fight of course sage northcutt everybody you know er, you know they the ufc's great white hope and i say that not in a racial sense just because the ufc sees a ton of potential in this guy uh he's going to be taking on mickey gall um you know mickey gall riding the wave of momentum uh by defeating cm punk it's uh it's it's going to be interesting i think that when it's all said and done I think Sage Northcutt is definitely going to try and use his stand-up to push the pace, but I also think that Gall is going to find a way to trip him up and take him to the ground and submit him. Because of this, I am picking Mickey Gall in the role of spoiler for that fight. People are probably saying, why, man? Sage Northcutt has you know eight fights under his, you know nine fights under his belt, blah, blah, blah. Mickey Gall's only on his third fight. Doesn't matter. Um, I think that Sage Northcutt can be easily rattled psychologically. And I also feel that when it's all said and done, Mickey Gall is going to push the pace. And like I said, try and take the fight to the ground and choke him out. So Mickey Gall is my pick for that fight. Uh, with regards to the ladies, Paige Van Zandt taking on Michelle Waterson. Michelle Waterson is a very, very dangerous, dangerous striker. Um, you know, the karate hottie nickname isn't just a nickname. She definitely uh, knows how to use her karate in the octagon very well. Uh, Paige Van Zandt, of course, training with Team Alpha Male, uh, Uriah Faber and those guys. I think Van Zandt definitely is coming to her own. She's another one of those individuals that has tons of mainstream appeal that the UFC can leverage accordingly, and they pray that you know she continues to be successful so they can squeeze that quarter for every ounce that, that they can. But here's the thing. Um, you know, Paige Van Zandt made news earlier this week talking about, oh, you know, I'd fight Ronda Rousey. And I'm like, don't don't do it to yourself. Stop it. Stop it. You know, it's like, all right, you know, you're you're you're, po- you're popular, you're marketable. Don't do it. Because, again, I tell I tell people all the time and it's not even because I'm a fan of Ronda's It's because, again, this is a girl who's been drilling arm bar work and submission work from, you know, from from a small child. No, ma- it doesn't matter what the fuck you do. If she grabs a limb, that's it. The only way you got you you got a chance of putting her out is by punching her in the face, which is what's been done before. But Paige Van Zant does not have that power, honestly. But I give her I give her respect for for trying to to get herself a uh, a cash you know a cash fight. Nothing wrong with that. But I think uh, the Faber fight, Northcutt and Gall and Van Zant and Waterson are going to be amazing, amazing fights. 
Also, Cole Miller's fighting on that card, taking on Mizodu, uh, Mizuto Arota, which is going to be a, a fucking solid fight. I think Cole Miller is one of those guys that is incredibly underrated in the 145-pound weight class, and I think him and Mizuto Hirota are going to have a solid, solid outing. Also, uh, the other fight, Leslie Smith taking on Irene Aldana is going to be um, another one of those fights that's going to be a sleeper, and Eddie Wineland, Takeya Mitsugaki, is... Um, Definitely has all the makings of a of another sleeper hit on the card. Again, UFC Fight Night goes down this weekend on free TV. Uh, the prelims are going to start at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, the, the early prelims will be on Fight Pass, I believe, at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time, 12.30 p.m. Pacific. And, of course, the main card will be on Fox, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Make sure to check it out. This is Uriah Faber's last fight. I think um, I think it's going to be special, man. I think we're going to get some some good fights and some solid performances. And, um, you know, we're going to see uh, the California kid ride off into the sunset. That's for sure. All right. So with that said, I think that's a, uh, a fitting way to close out the MMA segment for this episode. Let us switch gears and jump into some wrestling, shall we? Now, the thing that gets me is that we're going to go into this. We're going to talk about Raw. And, you know, I, I got to say that it really is Jekyll and Hyde when it comes to WWE programming. I'm being serious. We had the last, you know, we had the last show before WWE Roadblock uh, left lane closed. And um, I, I felt that while they did turn it up a bit, I still felt that the show was a little flat. We did have some some really great moments. Um, obviously the new day, uh, breaking the longest reigning tag team title record for, uh, WWE now, now going past demolition was a great moment. Um, I felt that the opening match between them, Gallows and Anderson and Sheamus and Cesaro was an incredibly entertaining match that not only showcased these teams effectively, but it also got to show that if you give, uh, Sammy's, um, Sammy Zayn. If you give uh, Cesaro and Sheamus uh, ample time to work, they can put together something special. That one exchange where uh, Cesaro was essentially a house of fire, running around doing like seventeen different things. He did the Swiss One Nine, which is actually a thing now. The uh, the mushroom stomp, the crossbody off the top rope, and it was essentially a blink and you missed it type of an exchange. Was completely stellar. Blew my mind. I was like, wow, this is how. This is how tag team wrestling and wrestling in WWE should be in general uh, was tremendous. Uh, Braun Strowman killing Curtis Axel. Just we, we know where it's going. We know that it's because of the whole buildup towards him and Sami Zayn, which I'll get into in a moment. Um, but again, I think Braun Strowman's reached a point where he definitely he needs to get put in there with guys that are going to help him become better. Uh, you know, glorified squash matches. They have their place. But I think they've gone to the to the well one time too many, in my opinion. Uh, Aria Davari and Lince Dorado was a great match. Um, I really enjoyed it. I liked Jack Gallagher interrupting the match and cutting a little promo saying that he was going to do something ungentlemanly by interfering in the match. I like that. I think, and I've said this before, WWE has something special 
uh, with Jack Gallagher. I think that they really need to take advantage of that because the crowd is really into it from the crazy ring tights to, you know, the music, his mannerisms, the the wrestling that he, the way he does, the way that he wrestles, excuse me. I, I, I just feel that they definitely have a winner there. I, I like that match for sure. Kendrick and TJ Perkins. I was shocked um, that Kendrick went over clean in this match. I definitely feel that it's a, it's a good way to kind of let people wonder how the outcome of this Sunday's triple threat match at roadblock is going to go down. Um, but a good match. Nonetheless, Kendrick continues to be a, a great addition to the cruiserweight division. Uh, TJ Perkins is awesome as usual, and they delivered a stellar, stellar match. Now, for all the praise that I've he- that I'm heaping on Monday Night Raw, there were some fuck ups too. There were some shitty things. Uh, Bailey facing Alicia Fox because of Bailey Bears and Cedric Alexander is completely fucking ludicrous. I understand that you got to set up matches and you got to you got to do shit, but um, no, it was it was definitely one of the the low lights, uh, the low points of the of the show. Uh, Sami Zayn and Jinder Mahal, I understand where they were going. It's a means to an end. I appreciated the uh, the fiery promo work from Sami Zayn. And of course, it led to McFoley giving him the match. Uh, we knew that, um, you know, I kind of was hoping that McFoley would trade Sami Zayn. You know, uh, Sami Zayn being traded for Eva Marie and the psychological warfare that Foley used to get Sami Zayn fired up for his match was um, was good storytelling. I genuinely thought that the way it was handled and the way that Foley brought that segment full circle was very well done. You know, pulling the empty paper out of the clipboard was, uh, you know, out of the binder was was a really nice touch, you know, to let Sami Zayn know that the only way that he has a shot is to be intense, to not be a nice guy. And, uh, you know, it was the means to an end. I, I know some people have said were saying that it went a little longer than it should have you know, for the last couple of weeks. I don't think so. I think that we definitely had something there. And I think that it was, you know, the, the, the storytelling was, was solid enough that, you know, you could, you could let them slide for an extra week or two. That's for sure. Now the new day after their backstage celebration, which many of you saw pretty much, um, you know, splash champagne all over Stephanie McMahon, Kevin Owens went in there, tried to secure himself an opportunity for him and Chris Jericho, and of course, that led to Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins being involved and the New Day defeating both teams to officially break the record uh, set by demolition. I, again, I thought it was a great way to validate the New Day as a team. I felt that, you know, Xavier Woods promo, you know, dedicating it to his to his grandma and stuff like that was was really, really well done. I also like the fact that Xavier Woods wrestled the final match and got the pin these are all little things that many people, you know, they don't they don't pay attention to. But I've always talked about something in professional wrestling and even in films and in everything else, you know, the little things, the little things add up, whether it's, you know, the way you play to the crowd or the way that you you interact or your entrance music or the way you conduct yourself. It all brings together a character. And this is something that I say is is evident in guys like Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho is a guy that reinvents himself every time and continues to be a draw because of how well he knows how to leverage the little things. You know, all the different ways that he wears his scarf, you know, the scowl on his face, his mannerisms, you know, the clicking of the pen to say he's putting someone on the list, 
uh, you know, the special clipboard that became the list of Jericho. All of these things add up and they become, you know, they become part of the overall package. And that's something that a lot of people lose sight of when they look at certain characters. It's easy to just be like, oh, this guy's wrestling sucks or this guy's look sucks or his mic work isn't that great. But at the end of the day, it's also about bringing together a complete package to present to an audience. A good example is Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens knows how to look at the most minuscule things and, and, and make them part of whatever he's doing from, you know, doing chin locks and matches and talking shit during the chin locks to, you know, making fun of people's finishers or making fun of people's mannerisms. Um, there's, there's so much that Kevin Owens does that makes him stand out as a performer that, you know, yes, he doesn't look like the stereotypical pro wrestler, but he brings to the table so much more that at the end of the day, you understand why he's in the position he is in. This is another thing that I've said for, for guys like the rock, the rock, you know, was it was a decent wrestler, but he knew how to use those little nuances, those little things to really add to his character from the way he removed his elbow pad to the way he would pull down his sunglasses to do, to do the people's eyebrows to the way that, you know, he had the, you know, the, the shirts that he wore, the wardrobe that he had, uh, the way he positioned himself. Same thing goes for, and I hate to admit it. You look at Randy Orton, you know, when he, with the way he goes and he does that, you know, his, his egotistical pose at the top of the, at the top of the, you know, the ramp or at the top of the post, depending on which Randy Orton you're looking at, you understand that these are individuals that they understand the, the, the craft of professional wrestling. Yes, you can go through the motions or as people like to call it, you know, spot fests and you get matches where it's fly, high flying, high flying, high flying and spot after spot after spot. And there's no story. There's no storytelling. And yes, it's exciting to watch, but it's missing some of those little subtle intricacies that make uh, pro wrestling an art form. You know, it's it's just it's just one of those things that it just works. And when you look at a guy like, you know, when you look at the New Day, they know how to leverage everything. And the best part is they play off of each other so well. You got a big guy like Big E just dancing and gyrating around. It's completely ridiculous, but it works so well alongside, you know, Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston, just happy go lucky uh, guys that are that are nerds and and they're geeky and they bring out different things to the uh you know they bring out different elements of that into their storytelling whether it's you know Xavier Woods talking about Evo or you know uh, Big E referencing a rap song or Kofi Kingston talking about sneakers there's there's just so many subtle touches that um that really really work for those guys and I felt that allowing them the opportunity to break the record and allowing them the opportunity to become, you know, the, the longest reigning tag team champions in the WWE was just a testament to how well they work. You know, it's just one of those things where you look at it and you say to yourself, but any other team could have got that accolade. Yes. But the new day, and this is a phrase I've used before. They took chicken salad. They made chicken. they, They took chicken shit and made a chicken salad. I'm being honest because think about when the new day first debuted with the gospel singing and all that nonsense. And all of us, all I did was clown those fucking guys every week. I'll be the first to admit it. I clown the shit out of them every week and little by little, they improved. They made little subtle changes. They did different things. And before you knew it, the new day was stealing the show every week. You know, 
Like that's 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 how I see it. I just I just feel that it's one of those things where, you know, people are like, ah, you know, the New Day, they should have left that record alone and blah, blah, blah. But you know what it is? The New Day have worked their asses off. Most importantly, they sell a fuckload of merchandise. And WWE has in their in, in that in that one faction, they have a role player for each division, which I've said before. You could groom Big E to chase for the world title. You could take Kofi Kingston or Xavier Woods individually and have them chase for, you know, the 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 IC title or the US title. You could just as easily have those guys continue to be the flag bearers for your tag team division. There's there's no there's no there's no role that these guys can't fill. You know, and that's and that's the thing that people they they fail to comprehend. A faction is only as good as the players that are part of it. And when you look at them, yeah, I always feel that the New Day does need a fourth member, but that's just me. But in terms of just the way that they approach the science of wrestling, those guys each have the potential to be something big in this industry. It wasn't that long ago that Kofi Kingston was a guy that was looked at as being a potential title contender. I remember when he was feuding with Randy Orton and we started to see a more aggressive Kofi Kingston when he did the boom drop through the announce table on Randy Orton. Everybody thought, oh shit, this is the time. It's 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 that moment for Kofi Kingston. And of course, didn't happen. But again, you know, it's just one of those things where you look at it and you say to yourself, this guy has it. You know, Chris Jericho jokes about it and he goes, you know, you're going to get it. And, you know, it's it's trash talking, but I understand as a wrestling fan what it really is. And some guys have it and some guys or some or some female performers don't. And and they try and try and try. And some some people just they, they don't have it. They don't. I'll give you guys a great example. Bo Dallas. Bo Dallas was the NXT champion. You know, he dropped the belt to Neville. Neville got put over. They thought, oh, we're going to bring Bo Dallas to the main roster and, and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be special. And no, nobody gives a fuck about Bo Dallas. Nobody. Uh, another great example, Jinder Mahal, another guy, not a bad worker, not a bad performer. Nobody gives a shit about him. Why? They just don't. And it's not because he doesn't have it, but it's just nobody's seen it, which is uh, which is unfortunate. But I felt that raw, you know, this week's raw going into roadblock was it was it was all right. It wasn't terrible, but it definitely didn't do much to set the stage for uh you know for this Sunday's pay-per-view and I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh <laughs> oh, shit. I'm I'm uh, no Jimbo Slice. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um let's go to the chat. Let's see what we got here. David, they should win the US title next and defend it under the Freebird rules. I have no problem with that. Um he also said that you know nobody knew about Demolition's record. This is also true. Uh, Val adds, but all regular WWE fans are mad, are mad at the New Day for being champions for so long and beating Demolition's record. The, and uh, he adds that the New Day is this generation's big thing. To which, let me correct myself, David said, 90% of these fans didn't know Demolition had that record. They just want something to criticize. Yes, true. Val said, uh, 50% of those fans aren't old enough to remember who the fuck Demolition is. Absolutely. You know what always amuses me when, when Goldberg comes out and you see little kids and they're like, they're like booing him. And it's just like, do you even know who this is? Do you have any clue? 
You were an itch in your father's pants when Goldberg was jackhammering the fucking big show on WCW, you know, on WCW TV. Hell, you probably were conceived right after that episode of Nitro. It's like, what the fuck? But um, that's a separate gripe for a separate day. Uh, like I said, I, I really felt that Raw was really solid, but it did nothing to to really raise any sort of interest in the pay-per-view outside of the stuff that we already knew which was obviously we're getting the Iron Man match, which I still don't understand why it can't just be called an Iron Woman match, but whatever. Uh, we'll talk about that later on. And of course, the other matches, which we will address as well. On the SmackDown side of things, um, yeah, SmackDown. Uh, <laughs> uh, so James Ellsworth was dying when SmackDown started, so we did not get the match between him and AJ Styles. I'm sure that David was heartbroken about that. Um, I, you know, I, I, the Ellsworth thing, whatever, that's, that's kind of where I am with it. Uh, they ended up setting up an elimination rules, number one contenders match with, uh, Dolph Ziggler, the Miz, Luke Harper, and Dean Ambrose. A couple of things. I really appreciated the Miz stepping his promo game up against AJ Styles. It, it really showed incredible potential either for turning AJ face or, and and keeping the Miz heel or even turning the Miz face to feud with AJ Styles. I think there's potential there. I think uh the Miz has the tools to 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 hold his own in a match with AJ. Obviously you're not gonna get a technical a technical showcase, but I think that you definitely get something that's enjoyable, that's for sure. Um as for SmackDown itself, it was it, you know, there were a lot of things that were wrong with it. Uh, you know, Carmella and Natalia's match I understand you're doing the whole who attack Nikki Bella shit. Don't care crickets for that. The, uh, the number one contenders battle Royal was pretty good. It's a, it's a damn shame that Zack Ryder got injured, uh, at the close of that match, but it also raises another question as for what the fuck did you bother bringing American alpha up for? I know David has said, you know, give it time. And, and, you know, a lot of you guys are saying to give it time, but what, what did you do? It's like, yeah, somebody to, to to fight the Wyatts. Okay, but, you know, really? Mojo and his Zubaz shorts and, and Zack Ryder? Again, no disrespect to those guys, even though I hate Mojo Rawley. I, um, I just thought this would have been a, a prime opportunity for, you know, Alpha, you know, American Alpha to get their, to get their, uh, their ticket punched to challenge the Wyatts. But alas, it went to the hype bros, which... As of right now, we don't know the extent of Zack Ryder's injury, but we do know that, you know, it was de- it was definitely a, a knee injury that went down at the close of the match. You can even see when the match was over, Mojo running over all excited, and Zack Ryder just has the look of sheer terror, like, please don't fucking touch me. I am in excruciating pain. Uh, you could definitely see it, and that's when I said, I said to my wife, I'm like, you know, I think, I think Zack Ryder got hurt for real because Mojo doesn't know what to do with himself. It was like um, the extremely excited puppy dog jumping on people's laps. Uh, it was it was hilarious. Uh, David adds, Al- uh, American Alpha, the Vaude villains, and Apollo Crews, they're wasting all of them. Absolutely. Uh, Apollo Crews, I mean, we're going to get into tribute to the troops in a moment, but I can definitely agree with that statement. That's for sure. Uh, Becky Lynch defeated Alexa Bliss via countout, because why? Um... You know, Alexa Bliss killed Diona Perrazzo, who she who was originally who she was going to face. And, um, you know, Becky Lynch comes out and they try to set this up. And I'm sure that we're going to keep seeing Becky Lynch scrap 
with Alexa Bliss on a consistent basis, but it also shows how very limited the SmackDown women's division is right now when, you know, Alexa Bliss is your tentpole. And I think part of the reason is because, like I said, you know, I said earlier, you know, in previous episodes, you go through all this trouble of building up Becky Lynch and you do absolutely nothing with her title reign. I'll be honest. I would have rather they put the belt on Natalia, who's at least an established veteran, and then you can have all these other divas gunning to take the title off of her because it creates a lot of different and more compelling storylines versus Alexa Bliss using her holier-than-thou, you know, mean girl attitude with Becky Lynch every week. That shit's going to get old. And, um, you know, with Carmella and Nikki Bella, I think Nikki Bella, as usual, you know, she's uh, she's become a pretty a pretty decent performer. Uh, not not amazing by any stretch, but not completely terrible. I think that Carmella definitely is the weaker the weaker uh, female on that roster. I think in terms of just the way that she wrestles and the way that she's you know she had puts together matches, it's just it's not good. And I think that working with Nikki Bella will help her, but I just feel that the whole thing with Natalia in the mix, it's just it's just very uneventful. That's that's really it. Uh, like I said, SmackDown was okay. The number one contenders match was good. I like seeing Luke Harper in there uh, to go back to something that, you know, David said it would be cool. Even with the Wyatts, if the Wyatts won, you know, the U.S. title and they defended the title under the Freebird rules. I think I think that would work equally well in in my opinion. I think that that's a good way to to look at that. But again, you know, it's one of those things where it could it could definitely fall by the wayside if handled poorly, but I wouldn't mind that. Hell, I wouldn't mind if, you know, the Wyatt family won the world title and it was defended by the, you know, in the Freebird rule. I think that would be pretty, pretty dope. You know, you have Bray Wyatt as champion defending it, Randy Orton defending it, who's already been champion. It's a nice way to give those guys a little bit more shine as a faction, but also as individual, as individual performers. I mean, having Luke Harper in there, in the world title picture was interesting. And honestly, he really, he really impressed in the, you know, in the elimination match. And it's something I've said on previous episodes, Luke Harper is without a doubt, a, an incredibly solid and very, very underrated performer. Uh, you know, you guys got, can look up, Bro- I believe he wrestled as Brody Lee on the independence, you know, look up, look up some of his matches, man. I think that he is without a doubt, one of the more, well-rounded quote-unquote big men on the roster uh he really to to quote what david just said he did beast in that match he was he was all over the place and he really he really allowed all of those guys to look really good in that match that's not to say that you know Dolph Ziggler winning was was a bad thing because Ziggler Ziggler you know he gets the job done and I think him and AJ are definitely capable of having uh some really great matches but if Luke Harper would have won, I'll be honest, I wouldn't I wouldn't have had any issue with it whatsoever. I honestly think that putting the belt on Ziggler, I mean putting the uh the contend the number one contender slot on Ziggler is just, you know, it's a good way to give people a dream match. I think that Ziggler and AJ have the tools to not only do some compelling matches, but just tell a great story. And of course, you got Dean Ambrose, you know, laying in laying in wait and um, you know, Everybody's kind of like, oh, that means that Ambrose is going to go on to feud with James Ellsworth. And how fucking terrible is that? <sighs> you know, I don't even know how, how I feel about it. Like I said, I don't think that, you know, the James Ellsworth experiment 
has has seen its end. I think that it's only going to get deeper as the weeks go on. Obviously, with the whole AJ Styles, the AJ Styles scenario and situation, you know, people are like, please don't let them put the belt on Ellsworth. I I doubt they will, but <laughs> but you never know. Uh, David adds that he was meh on the on the Ziggler win, and Val adds that Dean Ambrose needs to go to Raw. You know what the problem is? You already got Roman and Seth there, and I kind of feel that Dean Ambrose gets lost in the sh- in the in the shuffle. I just feel that um he could he could definitely hold it down on SmackDown, but he just needs opponents that can work in that crazy environment that he's so you know he's so uh, you know he's he thrives in. That's that's what I was looking for. He thrives in that chaotic, hardcore style, ultra violent environment. And I just feel that going in there against pure wrestlers like AJ, you don't you don't see a lot of that. You just see Ambrose just, you know, he's uh, he's essentially the Tasmanian devil just spinning around doing doing the, the five moves of doom and matches with guys that are substantially better wrestlers and better technicians than him. And it hurts. It really I feel it hurts his character. Um, you know, David said uh, Miz and Ambrose feud on deck. I could definitely see that. I definitely can see that for sure. Um, with regards to Ziggler and AJ, David adds good matches, lame feud. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how that pans out in the coming weeks. I I'm inclined to agree to a point. I feel that if you make it, you know, if you bring that same amount of passion between uh, Ziggler and Miz's feud into a feud with AJ Styles, it may it may be the spark that the doctor ordered, but we'll see what happens. And uh, Val, I got to agree with you. He does need to break out of the three moves of doom that uh, that slingshot clothesline that he does just gets sloppier and sloppier by the week. Uh, That's for damn sure. I am. I am 100 percent in agreement with you. Uh, Like I said, as for Smackdown, it was it was all right. That's that's the long and short of it. Now, tribute for the troops and 205 live. We're going to go through those. One thing I got to say, 205 live this week was recorded before Raw instead of after Smackdown. And I just felt that it was a better, better match. Uh, Jack Gallagher took on Drew Gulak, who, you know, he's, you know, he's been a guest on the show. I really like the addition of Drew Gulak to the cruiserweight, to the cruiserweight roster because he brings, uh, you know, some technique, some vicious technique into, into that mix. He reminds me of William Regal in, in his prime when Regal was going out there just being a, a violent, violent technician, uh, Gulak, of course, capable of, of, of doing some high flying, but I think that the way that he works currently is perfect for the cruiserweight division. Um, I think that Jack Gallagher had another great opportunity to showcase his skills against Drew Gulak. I got no problem with it. Um, Lince Dorado and Mustafa Ali went to a double countout, which was interesting. Of course, this was Lince Dorado's, uh, 205 live debut, and the debut of Mustafa Ali, which, of course, they've been hyping up both performers via video packages over the last uh, week or so. And um, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a good way to set up a a potential rematch. And um, it worked. I really felt that they did a good job with it. Um, You know, everything about 205 Live is good, but it could absolutely 110% be better because of all the stuff that like I said, just doing it at the NXT arena and and doing it that way versus taping it after SmackDown, which is just, you know, it's just a recipe for disaster at this point. Um, you know, things could be better, but I feel that the wrestling, which is what matters, has been incredibly solid. I mean, TJ Perkins defeating Rich Swan, of course, 
obviously to add a little bit more uh, weight to what's going on with the triple threat match this Sunday uh, was it was a solid way to do it that like I said there was there was really good stuff in all of these matches um, I really enjoyed it and I think that you know we're gonna see a lot of really stellar ring work and some good feuds come out of 205 live for the cruiserweights and you and leveraging raw as the build to that is a good way to begin and start certain feuds and stories on raw and then continue them into their own show in 205 live so uh, really excited. Like I said, if only 205 Live was in the NXT arena, that's all it needs. Everything else going on, perfectly acceptable. Now, last but not least, I want to talk about the tribute to the troops. Uh, as always, this is one of those situations where I'm not really going to go out of my way to critique the matches because at the end of the day, this was done for the men and women of our armed forces. And, you know, WWE, I always like to give them a pass for these special occasions because they're just going out there having fun doing it for the troops. It was interesting because this particular tribute to the troops actually had a couple of things that were, that really set the stage for Sunday's pay-per-view, which was interesting. They did a number one contenders match uh, to, to compete against the new day in the opener with uh, Sheamus and Cesaro taking on the golden truth, the shining stars and gallows and Anderson. I was, I was surprised not because of the match itself, but because you are continuing a storyline from raw at an event that is, you know, that is not a charity event, but it's just something where the wrestlers are having a good time. Again, that's not to say that it was bad. It's just something that I wasn't, I, I really wasn't used to seeing. And I'm curious if you guys are aware of this being something that was a first time occurrence, or if it happened before on previous tribute to the troops episodes. Now, like I said, I thought the match was really good. I thought that it was a great opportunity and a great way to reward Sheamus and Cesaro for their hard work. Once again, uh, those guys really, they really turned it up another notch in this match and um, really not sure about the shining stars being in the match, but it wasn't, it wasn't completely terrible. Like I said, I understood the ramifications of the match. I just felt that the environment that they did it in was uh, not the usual. That's for sure. Apollo Crews took on The Miz, and we got an Apollo Crews sighting. Um, you know, it was interesting just because, you know, Gabriel Iglesias was involved. And, um, uh, it, you know, it was it was what you'd expect. You know, the celebrity tie-in, blah, blah, blah. They've been kind of building towards that. No big deal. I just feel that Apollo Crews is another one of those guys. Tons of potential that WWE is just letting fall through the cracks, much like Neville. Uh, the Wyatt family, all three of them, took on Dolph Ziggler and American Alpha in a really good match. Uh, once again, the uh, the Wyatt trio continues to work extremely well together, even though I've said before, you know, I really wasn't sure about the whole Randy Orton thing, and it ended up, uh, it, it's been pretty solid thus far. Uh, Bailey and Dana Brooks' match was about as good as you can expect. Um, you know, Dana Brooke, of course, you know, putting over Bailey as usual, not a problem. I did enjoy... Uh, Rich Swan, TJ Perkins, and Jack Gallagher. Again, them taking advantage of those guys, taking on Nice Gulak and the Brian Kendrick. I thought I thought that was a great match as usual, and I think that the men and women of our armed forces definitely appreciated it, and um, they did a good job. Roman Reigns and Big Kaz ended up taking on Kevin Owens and Rusev. Of course, this is a continuation from the stuff that went down on Monday. Of course, Big Kaz getting revenge for... Uh, Rusev killing Enzo Amore and Roman Reigns building towards his inevitable collision with Kevin Owens this Sunday, where 
it's a possibility that Roman Reigns may win both titles. We'll see what happens. Uh, David says that six man match was awesome. Yes, the hell it was, dude. I was I was blown away. And like I said, I think the men and women of our armed forces definitely enjoyed what WWE brought to the table with tribute to the troops. I always like watching that. It's such a, a great feel good show, you know, showing uh, WWE doing good by the men and women of our armed forces. That's one thing I've always said when it comes to stuff like that. WWE does an amazing, amazing job. And I know that The Rock did his own tribute to the troops on Spike TV. I didn't get to see it. I've heard good things about that as well. Uh, I did DVR, and I'm hopefully going to check it out this weekend, but I heard that was equally amazing. But uh, this week's uh, tribute to the troops was extremely well done. It was a fun show, and um, like I said, I was really just surprised with all the uh, the angle advancement. That's for sure. Let's get into some of the... Uh... <laughs> oh, God. I am not acknowledging that either, Jimbo Slice. I am not. <laughs> it's craziness. All right. So I want to get into some of the other wrestling news for the week. Uh, if you've been wondering when we would see Bill Goldberg back besides the Royal Rumble, we will be seeing him on the July 23rd episode of Raw. This, of course, adds to his appearance on January 2nd, which is the first Raw of the new year. We will, of course, be seeing both Goldberg and Brock Lesnar in the Royal Rumble on January 29th from San Antonio, Texas. So looks like Goldberg is motivated. He's having a good time being on WWE TV every week. And of course, building up to his inevitable collision course with Brock Lesnar at the Rumble, I think it is fitting to see him involved in a couple of episodes of Raw leading up to that. You got no complaints from me. On the indie side of things, there was a video making its way around the tubes this past week with uh, the newest member of the Bullet Club being unveiled. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. Uh, this video was shared by Numerous Bullet Club members, including Kenny Omega, and um, later on the Young Bucks, and Cody Rhodes ended up sharing it as well. So it looks like uh, the American, you know, the American dream, of course, being Cody's father, the late Dusty Rhodes. Uh, now Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare, being the newest member of the Bullet Club. It all signs point to Cody Rhodes making his debut at Wrestle Kingdom 11 at the Tokyo Dome, and I'll be talking about a little bit more about that later on. But um, I think Cody joining the Bullet Club is interesting. Once again, uh, the Bullet Club getting one big established name involved in their faction. I mean, you got Adam Cole, which is amazing. Uh, Adam Cole, baby, is out of his fucking mind. Love Adam Cole. Would love to see him in a WWE ring down the road. Of course, you got the Young Bucks. Uh, you got Tama Tonga and his brother. These guys, the Bullet Club continues to evolve, continues to be one of the popular factions. Um you know, a lot of people, and it's funny because David mentioned it too, there was a big rumor that the uh, the newest member of the Bullet Club was going to be Ryback, and, um, you know, David said he was thankful that it was Cody because, you know, of the rumors that it would be Ryback. Not to say that I personally think that Ryback would be a good, a good member of the Bullet Club from just the whole, you know, the muscle of the faction. I mean, you still got ba Bad Luck Fale. I feel like I haven't seen Bad Luck Fale in a minute. I'm curious to find out if he's injured. Maybe I'll do a little homework to see. Um, you know, I've been watching, uh, the new Japan stuff on access TV when I get, when I get time, since I have like 20 episodes DVR'd and bad luck Fale, I'm shocked that WWE hasn't scouted that guy or Tama Tonga because those guys are really, really solid workers. The addition of Cody Rose to the bullet club, like I said, is, is solid. I know some people are complaining. They feel that the bullet club has run its course, but I hate to say it, man. These guys, they sell t-shirts. 
They're they're huge in Japan and they're just running on a tear whether whether it's a New Japan or Ring of Honor, the Bullet Club is, you know, it's the name of the game right now. Now of course, you know, the original uh with uh Finn Balor, which was Prince Devitt at the time and of course Gallows Anderson, Bad Luck Fale, Tamatonga was my favorite incarnation. I do feel, you know, I do feel that Adam Cole, the Young Bucks and, you know, adding Cody Rhodes and these guys were were tremendous. I definitely feel that. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to Wrestle Kingdom when it goes down and I'm going to get into when you can check that out shortly. The next bit of wrestling news is a little crazy. Um, you know, a couple of months back, we were talking about Rhino running for public office. And, you know, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, you know, obviously, Donald Trump, WWE Hall of Famer, now president of the United States, Linda McMahon, uh, secretary of uh, um, small business. Uh, I believe it's secretary of small business. Uh, don't remember offhand. In any case, you know, the uh, the, the the mixture of politics and and professional wrestling is becoming more and more blurred uh, every time we talk about it. Like I said, you know, we, we had Rhino running for office. We've had Bob Backlund running for office, uh, WWE Hall of Famer Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, governor of California, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we got somebody else running for public office, another WWE Hall of Famer. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Booker T. Uh, Booker T is going to be running for mayor of Houston in 2020. Um, he made reference to it in his podcast, uh, Heated Conversations, and he said, you know, I'm preparing myself to run for mayor of Houston, Texas. He said that he came he came to the conclusion and he made the decision after talking with Rhino and, you know, discussing his run for the seat in Michigan's House of Representatives. Um, Rhino said to Booker T, You're, you are overqualified for the job. Wrestling not only prepares you for life, but it prepares you for positions like that because you feel the emotion from the people and you know what they want. You've built yourself from where you were to where you are now. Uh, very interesting. I'm curious to see how that pans out. Um, you know, Booker T, I'm curious if his political opponents will dig up that video of him, of, you know, him telling Hulk Hogan that he's coming for him. I'm curious to see if they bring that up. I would love for that to be like a, in a debate, like, Mr. Huffman, because that's Booker T's name, Mr. Huffman, did you not call Hulk Hogan, <laughs> you know, call Hulk Hogan a nigger on national television? And he'd be like, nah, I called him a nigger, folks. No ER. <laughs> like, I would I would laugh my balls off if that happened. Just be like, uh, Mr. Huffman, did you or did you not get into an altercation with Stone Cold Steve Austin in a supermarket. Yeah, yeah, I did. But it was for wrestling. It wasn't real. Oh, I'd, I'd love to see that. Love, I, I would love for Booker T to do a campaign ad and telling his opponent that he's coming for him. I'd, I'd lose my fucking mind. <laughs> David adds he's got to do a King Booker promo on the campaign trail. Absolutely. He needs to do at least one one campaign ad with him and the English accent wearing the crown and the cape. I would give anything and the pinky. He has to have the pinky up. King Booker would like to speak to his royal subjects. Uh, Mr. Huffman, this is a town hall meeting. This is not a wrestling arena. Oh, my God. I'm going to have such a field day when Booker T runs for office in 2020. I'm telling you right now, I am going to have a Fucking field day. Anyway, 
as I was saying, you know, with Cody Rose joining the Bullet Club and debuting at Wrestle Kingdom, Wrestle Kingdom is going down January 4th. And I got to tell you, if you have not watched, watched the New Japan Pro Wrestling Show, please do yourselves a favor and check it out. The matches that are on deck are, rid- are ridiculous. They're doing the, uh, the New Japan Rambo, which is like a Royal Rumble style match. Uh, you got Tiger Mask W taking on Tiger Mask Dark. You got the never six-man title champions, David Finley, Ricochet, and Kojima taking on Bushi, Evil, and Sonata, and also taking on Ishii, Yoshihashi, uh, Osprey, Fale, uh, Yujiro, and Hangman Page. I think that's going to be a bananas, fucking bananas match. Uh, Cody's going to be taking on Juice Robinson. The IWGP Junior Heavyweight title will be up for grab. The tag team titles as the Young Bucks defend their tag team titles against Rapongi Vice, um, Trent Beretta, and Rocky Romero. The Ring of Honor title will be on the line as Kyle O'Reilly defends the title against Adam Cole. Fucking amazing, especially with what these guys did at Final Battle. You definitely won not to miss. Uh, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match with Kushida take, defending his title against uh, Hiromu Takahashi. Again, bananas. Uh, they're doing a never open weight title match with uh, Katsuyori Shibata defending his title against Hiroki Goto. You got the Intercontinental IWGP title match with uh, Tetsuya Naito taking on Tanahashi, which again, another great match on paper. Um, the IWGP tag team title champions uh, tag team title match with G.O.D., which is Tonga Roa and Tama Tonga taking on Team GBH, which is Tamaki Hanma uh, and Togi Makabe is bananas. And of course, the IWGP heavyweight title match. Kazuchika Okada taking on Kenny the Cleaner, Kenny Omega. Again, Wrestle Kingdom, fucking amazing card. If you've never seen a Wrestle Kingdom or New Japan Pro Wrestling event, do yourselves a favor, check it out. Uh, You can probably subscribe to New Japan Pro Wrestling on their website. I believe they do it through New Japan World, and it is $9 a month, and you get to watch their events. Uh, You'll be able to watch it, like I said, January 4th. But the coolest thing is that if you do miss Wrestle Kingdom 11, uh, Jim Ross actually said that they're going to be airing Wrestle Kingdom 11 on Access TV the week after it goes down. So you're going to be able to watch it in four parts. Uh, Access TV will be uh, giving more than 50 episodes of New Japan Pro Wrestling in 2017. And you'll be able to watch it um, starting January 13th. Well, they'll have Okada and Omega and Kenny Omega's match. And then the following week, they'll air Tanahashi versus Naito. But again, New Japan. Uh, Wrestle Kingdom 11, January 4th. Mark it down on your calendars. It is a stellar, stellar, stellar fucking card. Now, got to give a shout out to our friends at House of Glory Wrestling. They got their six-year anniversary show going down this Saturday. A lot of great matches there. Anthony Gangone taking on Eddie Edwards for the House of Glory World Heavyweight title. You got the the House of Glory Crown Jewel title match with Ken Broadway putting his title up on the lot, um, up for grabs against Leo Rush. And the House of Glory tag team titles are up for grabs with the Broken Hardys, who are the champions, defending against the Dudleys, defending against EYFBO, and also against the Private Party. You also got New York Wrecking Crew taking on uh, the 2K Click. Uh, Sonya Strong is going to be taking on Violet. And Smiley will be facing Nikki Heat as of right now. I believe the stipulation is still up for grabs, and we should find out this week if they haven't announced it already. And um, again, our friends at House of Glory continue to put together great cards. 
to find out more information, houseofgloryonline.com. And of course, our very own Jay Santee will be at the event. So if you're there, look for Jay, tell him, say what's up. You'll probably be able to easily find him because he usually has his King of Talk style t-shirt and it usually has some sort of TRSS podcast uh, memorabilia with him. So if you're attending the House of Glory sixth anniversary show, uh, give him a shout out, say what's up. I'm sure he will be glad to hear from you. Last but not least, to close things out, of course, we have WWE Roadblock end of the line filling potholes on exit 5E this weekend. Um, give you guys my match predictions to close things out. Uh, the kickoff match is going to be Big Cass taking on Rusev. Why? Because of Enzo getting his ass whooped in a motel room. I have a feeling that Big Cass is probably going to go over in this match because Enzo is going to make a miraculous recovery, come out and attack Rusev. So it may be a DQ finish with Kaz obviously being the victor uh, in terms of just whooping Rusev's ass. But, you know, Rusev, of course, will get the W because of a DQ due to involvement from Enzo. That's how I see it going. Uh, we shall see what happens. We also got the 10-minute time limit, the 10-minute time limit match with Sami Zayn and Braun Strowman. I think that Sami Zayn is definitely going to hold his own for, you know, the first eight minutes, and then Braun Strowman will kill him at like nine minutes and 55 seconds or some shit. Or, you know, Sami Zayn will go unconscious, and it'll be one of those things where, you know, Braun Strowman wins the battle and Sami Zayn wins the war scenario. Uh, you know, I, I definitely don't think that they're going to, you know, derail the Braun Strowman hype train with a loss to Sami Zayn. Stranger things have happened, but I do think that the, uh, the Braun Strowman push will continue. Seth Rollins and Chris Jericho, I have a feeling Kevin Owens is somehow going to get involved, cause Chris Jericho the match, and Seth Rollins will walk away the victor. I also am hearing rumblings that Chris Jericho is almost done with his WWE run and uh, will be taking some time off, so he may be putting Seth Rollins over on the way out. Now, the Raw Tag Team title match, which was set up excuse me, at the Tribute to the Troops event, sees Cesaro and Sheamus taking on the New Day. I now that the new day has broke demolitions record, I'm almost inclined to think that they're going to drop the titles to to Cesaro and Sheamus now that the record has been broken. But stranger, you know, that's one of those instances where stranger things have happened. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Cesaro and Sheamus will win the titles only because, like I said, new day broke the tag team title record and this whole Cesaro Sheamus experiment has to pay off in some capacity. So we shall see what happens. Uh, Cruiserweight title match. Interesting scenario. You got Rich Swan going in as the champion, taking on TJ Perkins and Brian Kendrick. I definitely am going to go with Rich Swan retaining, but I also feel that TJ Perkins may turn heel in this match. Uh, we've kind of been, we've kind of been going in that direction with some of the little things going on. Not, not sure if he's going to turn heel in a sense to align with Brian Kendrick, but I think that he just may turn heel just for the sake of having an additional heel on WWE Raw programming versus just, you know, Gulak and Nice, who we've been seeing more on 205 Live than on regular WWE programming. But I do feel uh, Rich Swan will retain, but after it's all said and done, he may get a post-match beatdown from TJ Perkins. We got a 30-minute Raw women's title Iron Man match. Uh, between Charlotte and Sasha Banks. Uh, they've pretty much said that this will be the final encounter between these ladies. No rematch. 
the winner moves on to probably feud with Bailey. Um, I'm going to be honest, even though obviously Sasha Banks having the title is, you know, the feel good moment and the great story. I always feel that when it comes to pay-per-views, Charlotte always wins. And then they put the belt back on Sasha Banks on raw or, you know, on a televised event. I got to say that this match is tough to call because like I said, the end result is one of them is going to end up feuding with Bailey. And while it's very easy for Charlotte to go in there and start feuding with Bailey, I kind of feel that Sasha Banks and Bailey are just capable of putting together uh, just a better match. Not that Charlotte and Sasha Banks or Charlotte and Bailey are not capable of doing that, but I just feel that there's such a great story to be told with Sasha Banks and Bailey, which can continue, you know, the story that they set that they set off in NXT. So I really I'm going to go out on a limb again and say that Sasha Banks is going to retain and she's going to go on to feud with Bailey, probably starting uh, the following night with something, you know, coming together, perhaps for the Royal Rumble. Now, you know, that's a match. And, and I'm going to say this, you know, I'm picking Sasha Banks only because I'm looking at the big picture, but it could go either way. It really could. Last but not least, Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens, WWE Universal title match. I think that if Kevin Owens gets involved in Chris Jericho's match, I think Chris Jericho is going to get involved in Kevin Owens match, leading to Roman Reigns becoming, um, you know, a double champion, holding both the Universal title and the, you know, the, the IC title, the US title. Sorry, I always get them, you know, I always get confused with those two because we barely see one of them defended. But in any case, we we go on to Roman Reigns having both titles with um, Kevin Owens possibly just going into a program with Chris Jericho. Again, I'm only I'm only presuming this this outcome based on Kevin Owens possibly getting involved in Jericho's match and then Jericho, of course, getting even and costing Kevin Owens the title. Obviously, in any way, in any either way it goes, I feel that Roman Reigns is still going to walk out the victor because once again, they're going back to trying to get Roman Reigns over by just putting every title possible on him. And again, you just got to let the guy, you know, get there on his own, but we'll see what happens. I I mean, you know, I would be, I would be extremely surprised if Kevin Owens uh, retained the title in this outcome. I really would just because like I said, it's, it's it's way too easy to presume. Well, let me rephrase that. It's too easy to not ignore the fact that him and Chris Jericho are still at odds and the possibility of him losing the title is very, very real. In any case, uh, WWE Roadblock goes down this Sunday on pay-per-view. I believe the pre-show is going to start at 7.30, I've heard, 7.30, um, you know, with the kickoff match being uh, Big Kaz and Rusev. All right, there are my predictions. Um, You know, we'll see what happens. As always, if you want to discuss any of that, make sure to check out um, our Facebook group, which, um, you know, we always have a thread put together for any of the pay-per-views, Raw and or SmackDown, uh, usually started by Slick or some of our other staff members. So if you want to participate and join the conversation, you can look us up there for that. All right, so I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling Uh, This will be the final take for 2016. Uh, Before we wrap up, just a reminder uh, to participate. If you would like an opportunity to win uh, one of the gift cards for Newberry Comics, we got our 12 days 
of gift card giveaways. Details on RageWorks.net. Uh, it is officially past midnight, so our Star Wars contest is over, and we will be announcing our winner on the gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio later today, now that it is Thursday, December 15th. Um, with that said, you know, you guys can keep up with everything My Take Radio and RageWorks related by heading over to RageWorks.net. As for us, like I said, I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling. I always would love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up. If you're on social media, you can find us on Twitter at my take radio or at rage underscore works. If you're on Facebook, you can become a fan of RageWorks on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks, or you can join the RageWorks Facebook group and interact with all of us talking wrestling, MMA, gaming, entertainment, and anything else pop culture that comes up. You can look us up there. Links for that will be in the show notes. As for this episode, you can find archive versions in podcast format on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And of course, video archives are on our YouTube channel, <clears throat> youtube.com forward slash official rage works. I want to thank you guys for checking out this week's MMA and wrestling edition of my take radio, which of course is the last one for 2016 as we're going to be taking some time off for the holidays. We got one more episode on deck, of course, later today, which is our gaming and entertainment edition. And then after that, we will see you guys in January. Again, I hope you guys, if I don't interact with you on social media, you guys have a great uh, and wonderful holiday season. Hope you guys, whatever you're celebrating, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, you know, Festivus, whatever it is, I hope you guys enjoy it. You guys get kick-ass gifts. And of course, we will see you guys in 2017. Thanks for watching, guys. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> That's all, folks.